Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. AI to predict natural disasters or molecular imaging technology that can identify a disease or a predisposition to disease far before any other existing test possibly can. These are examples of deep technology, referring to startups as well, whose business model is based on high-tech innovation in engineering or significant scientific advances. Now, the term deep tech is intended, of course, to set it aside from shallow tech. Shallow tech is a relatively simple technological advancement, moving a business perhaps from a non-digital business model to a digital one. For deep tech, though, the business starts with and circles around some real innovative technologies deployed to solve really difficult problems in the real world and lead to developmental or transformational products. But central to all of this are semiconductors. How will the global chip shortage and geopolitical rows impact Singapore in this arena of deep tech? To talk more about this, we're joined now by Eugene Fitzgerald. He is CEO and Director of the Singapore MIT Alliance for Research and Technology, or SMART, MIT's research enterprise here in Singapore. Hi, Eugene. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me on today. All right. First of all, let's get some perspective. Give us an example of a deep tech startup that has helped solve a problem recently. Yeah, I think something your listeners can appreciate is Mardana, which is, of course, the company that created the COVID, COVID vaccine. What most people don't realize probably is that they were 10 years in to you know, working on innovation, trying to break into different markets with their mRNA platform. And, of course, COVID arrives, and it's uh, the perfect market for them. And the innovation took off, and everybody knows the rest of that story. Maybe another example is a company I started based on our uh, discovery of something called strain silicon. It was a new semiconductor material, and it was implemented in a time to save Moore's Law, which is that famous, you know, rapid law of progress in the silicon world. And, you know, that technology spread out and is in most of the chips uh, you see today. So those are two quick examples of of this kind of longer-term deep tech that affects uh, things that we know about. Mm. You're alluding to New Silicon Corporation. This is that Singapore company that you co-founded with some colleagues. The new company I just founded here uh, in Singapore based on actually another 10 years of research here uh, in SMART, which mm. is a collaborative research organization here in uh, Singapore between MIT and the institutions, the research institutions here. Right. And this actually does address the issues that we are having right now to some extent with semiconductors, with chips, doesn't it? The new company, New Silicon Corporation, you mentioned, uh, which uh, we call NSC, is a company that uh, really set out to enable the next generation of integrated circuits and looking way forward, even beyond the sort of uh, circuits you see today. And so the company's formed because in the critical areas of like AR, VR, 5G, 6G, machine vision, which are the you know high growth markets of the future for integrated circuits with high margin, uh, we're perfectly positioned to address those kinds of uh, applications. 
Mm, we must talk about the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic kickstarted the chip shortage and there are far-reaching effects to this, including virus outbreaks, labour challenges, geopolitical uncertainties, especially between the US and China. And let's not forget more recent talk of US-China tech decoupling, very much a concern. Unfortunately, for the layperson looking on, there are few signs of recovery in the near term. What's your perspective on this? You know, I think deep techs, you know, really thrive best when, you know, there is long-term stability and things like currency and ecosystems that support long-term innovation like Singapore. These disruptions, you know, are harmful if they last around long enough. But the good thing about deep tech is that um, a lot of these things develop um, over many, many years, like I was saying, 10 years, right? So many of the deep tech tech pipeline here in Singapore is still on the uh, R&D side, so as long as it hasn't popped out and is kind of growing and needing a tremendous cash flow, these technologies can still develop. So unless you're in a little window of, of real, you know, bad timing, um, actually deep techs are a great thing to invest in now because, of course, um, you know, in a few years we expect everything to be better and a deep tech uh, that is uh, growing now will be uh, coming to fruition and create, you know, great value. Regarding the tensions, you know, I think for Singapore, this is, you know, pretty golden age for semiconductors in the sense that, uh, you know, it's the, it's the place geopolitically of, you know, it's like the Switzerland of chips, right? I mean, you can come to Singapore and, uh, it, it, it basically is kind of a neutral territory and, and, uh, is a great location for that. So there's two sides to that. There's kind of tracking current foundries that make uh, integrated circuits. And then there's this deep tech side, which is producing new companies that create new circuits. So I think uh, Singapore is pretty well positioned for that future. Mm. Minister of State for Trade and Industry Alvin Tan did say that new restrictions on China's access to American technology will hit Singapore's semiconductor industry. But he also said that measures are in place to offset the impact. Singapore apparently supplies 11% of the world's semiconductors and 20% of chip making equipment. It's a regional manufacturing and R. R&D hub for some of the top microchip companies as well. But let's talk about how the industry here can evolve alongside emerging technologies such as 5G, AI, robotics and so on. Yeah, so the uh, getting back to NSP's chips, this new company in Singapore, you, you know, it's really optimized for those uh, those kinds of chips. They, you need to incorporate newer semiconductors, sort of higher performance semiconductors into the standard silicon chips in order to really address those applications in a fantastic way. So NSC uh, was able to do that by working, of course, in smart over all these years in Singapore and, and creating this um, uh, this technology and working with worldwide manufacturing partners to do so. And that's kind of the countervailing force to the to the hit that we were talking about that Singapore will take. Yes, you know, Singapore will be affected by China, but remember that uh, Singapore itself hasn't faced any of those restrictions. So even though from a supplier point of view into China, it gets hit. On the other hand, for new technology and technology that is reliant on interactions with the rest of the globe, Singapore is in a position to grow. So it's kind of like there's two sides to that equation. Mm. This might sound a little philosophical, but what would you suggest be done in situations where, you know, two countries are at loggerheads and that sort of 
holds back progress in either the tech arena or any other arena. In the tech arena specifically, what measures do you think ought to be taken or do you feel that, you know, it's just natural that someone else will emerge to close the gap that is caused by geopolitical tensions? You know, this deep tech and as listeners know, Entrepreneurs are bottom up, right? So there's always these different forces in the macro environment that affect them, but they're, they're really very good at, at kind of shifting in order to keep these technologies moving that could impact society, uh, especially the deep tech people because they've been doing this over a very long period of time and have to have great vision to get it there, right? So I think it, it's not about trying to get China and U.S. to change so much because, you know, that's pretty difficult, Right. But it's new opportunity, right? You know, like I was saying, you know, uh, in Singapore, if we have great entrepreneurs, we have this uh, deep tech uh, pipeline that's growing, right? Then it's an opportunity to have new centers for new companies that can lead in the future while everybody else is, is thinking about the old world. Because, you know, a lot of those restrictions and things that are put in place are about the past. They're about the sort of equipment that we, we know that exists today about the chips that are made today, we already know about, right? So it's the future chips actually that bring the great value. So if we focus on that, then pretty much you can bypass this and prepare for growth in the future. Looking at the landscape now, what do you think are the most urgent challenges that deep tech needs to be addressing? Yeah, I mean, fellow deep tech in general can be in many different areas. It's pretty broad. So, but I would say this, the way that I think about deep tech is they generally are platform technologies. What that means is that they can be applied to many different markets over a long period of time. And so therefore challenges that appear, uh, they can, they can turn and address those things as those markets appear because they have these kind of platform technologies. And that's, I mentioned before some of the semiconductor technology we're working on and like Moderna, you know, they, they solved the COVID problem, but now they're gearing it towards other diseases, right? So I think the advantage of deep tech is that if you can build these kind of platform companies in your country, then you can address all sorts of problems that appear over time and of course have, have economic growth far into the future. So um, and I, I'm, you know, over our lives, we've just seen this so many times where these companies can respond quickly to different needs. So these kind of deep tech companies end up being great economically, but they're also good strategically. You get both at the same time, which is which is great. Mm. It can be quite trying because, as you said, you know, R&D can take 10 years or more before you actually see results. Right. So what are your words to investors who are looking to put their money into something worthwhile? You know, they obviously have to be very patient. Yes. Well, I think that um, if you look at what's smart and the company that I just checked it out, this uh, NSC, if you look at, at the way that worked is there's, you know, the whole pipeline over those years is sort of a public-private partnership, right? So you can develop and take out a lot of risk on the R&D side with an excellent R&D community that's focusing on innovation. And then you kind of lead that up. And we've been creating a, a more and more efficient system in doing that here in Singapore. And then as it gets closer, not only does an investor have a track record to look at at that progress, but also everybody can get together and estimate when it's time to actually, you know, form the enterprise. And so that's, that's how you can take this long timeline, which is, you know, required for greatness, 
but then at the same time de-risk it in a in a way that everybody uh, can win. And that's kind of what we did with this um, semiconductor company here in Singapore. So kind of, you know, the, the this sort of uh, public-private partnership over the timeline, I think, is really the way to handle that. How do you think innovation can be cultivated in order to ensure that the sector grows, that there are more deep tech platforms solving the world's problems? Yeah, I think it, what matters is um, R&D policy, actually, looking at how to launch tenure, you know, looking at these projects that are supposed to go 10 years and create impact. I think the way that a, a lot of R&D policy has been in the past is sort of relied on the past. You know, it's like a model from 70 years ago. One of the things we've been trying to do here in Singapore is say, look, with greater global interconnectivity and more efficiency, obviously it should change the way you think about R&D and launch these projects. So I think mankind is just right now starting to figure this out. And in, 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 in a way, Singapore uh, is leading and thinking about this. And I think we can we can and are launching these 10-year projects in a more efficient way. So you can like look at different sectors and you, and you look at the reality globally of these sectors and launch these uh, 10-year projects with the best people. And you can really start to improve our efficiency and impacting society. So that's, that's um, one of our laser focus points in, in SMART. Thank you so much for your time today, Eugene. Eugene Fitzgerald, CEO and Director of the Singapore MIT Alliance for Research and Technology, or SMART, MIT's research enterprise here in Singapore. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.